And welcome back to Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. <laughs> My name is Sam Wilson. Joining us as always, Zach Schneider and Troy Hensley. Today we're going to be talking about The Incredible Hulk 2008. This is the MCU Hulk movie that people tend to forget about because it starred Edward Norton, not Mark Ruffalo, not Eric Bana, not Bill Bixby, but Ed Norton. Full spoilers for The Incredible Hulk from 2008. It is part of the MCU, guys. It is canon. But first, we'll get to... Well, actually, first of all, like, how are you? I, I know uh, you, you asked us how we're, how our week was uh, off-air, Troy, but how, how was your week, Troy? How, was, how have you been? I had a really good week. I got everything finished up for the sitcom, and they paid me within a week, and I was like, holy crap. That's nice to wake, wake up. That to. is unusual. That is, I that know. That is really that's unusual. That's they what I said. within a week, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm still really from that. I usually wait for months for my checks to come in. Yeah, me too. Me too. I uh, booked a an improv prank show for next week, so I'll see what that's like. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, I had I had a very good weekend actually. I had a really really good weekend. Wink wink, nudge nudge, say no more. No no, I I had two. <laughs> uh, one person listening to this podcast might know what I'm talking about. No, um, no, I had really I had two really good shows uh, for the play that I'm in. We had two really good performances for two gentlemen of Verona, Fantastic. and my band also had a really good gig at this like random gay bar. So it's it's nice. all it was all fun. It was all. Nice. Good. Actually, talking about gay bars, like that that's a good transition into our first pre-show topic, which is Pride Month. It's Pride Month this month. It, we're in June. So I know it's like it's, it's more of a broad, like general world category, but like there's there's definitely I think representation in kind of nerd pop culture is definitely important. <laughs> and it's something that there's there's been a lot of problems of, you know, not having as many LGBT superheroes and characters in, in in nerd culture as there could be but it's definitely getting better there are definitely more characters than there ever have been that have been uh repre- representative so like i don't know where you guys just general i know this is not not the most organized topic but just general thoughts on pride month and like where you feel like lgbtq plus representation is right now in kind of nerd culture so in comics it's been there for a while Two varying degrees of, you know, being handled well. Currently, uh, we have something that was long implied to be the case, but in, like, almost every medium we have, for instance, uh, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, you know, in a relationship together. Um, one of the big Marvel events at the moment is uh, focusing on a huge crossover featuring the Kree and the Scrolls that is centered on the gay couple... Um, Hulkling and Wiccan, which are terrible names, by the way. Like, they're decent characters. Like, they're good characters, from what I can tell, but their names are awful. Good lord. (laughs) Okay, okay, I gotta say, this is such a side tangent. I'm I'm sorry to interrupt, but, like, I was reading... it was it was during the Marvel Civil War uh, comic crossover event that happened several years ago, which ended up kind of being the, the the very loose inspiration for Captain America Civil War. But like I remember that like there was this character in one of the, the comic books who uh, in one of the the mainline crossover comics who like we thought was this one guy the whole time, but then it turned out to be Hulkling in disguise because I guess he's a shapeshifter. I remember it's like, oh no, I'm not this guy. I'm really Hulkling. And I remember reading the comic and be like. Ooh. Like, it's just like so random. 
random because the comic, the, that comic itself didn't set up who Hulk League was. It's just like, I guess I'm just supposed to know who Hulk League is. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> it was like, uh, okay. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it's like, that was like, that was like such a like extreme left field twist, especially since I didn't know who Hulk League was to begin with. It just made it even weirder. Anyway, but yes, continue, Zach. So yeah, on shows, it's actually pretty good. Uh, CW, for all the fact that they are really stuck in, like, soapy romantic dramas and kind of cheesy action, um, they do have uh, no fewer than three shows with major queer characters. Um, Supergirl had uh, one of the first trans superheroes, uh, Dreamer on there, Batwoman, both the first character, uh, Kate Kane, and the replacement character because the main actress, you know, didn't realize that being the main character of a show was a large commitment for some reason. <laughs> main characters of Batwoman are, um, you know, lesbians. The Legends of Tomorrow, the captain of of the intrepid group of heroes is the uh, boldly defiant uh, bisexual Sarah Lance. So there's, yeah, pretty good representation on there. Several shows, uh, all ages shows even, are having better representation that, you know, just keeps improving over time between, you know, one of the first big ones was uh, Avatar, The Legend of Korra, and then we have uh, She-Ra, Steven Universe. Actually, both versions of She-Ra, although it was, like, way subtler back in the, in the 80s. But let's be honest, Korra was much more subtle than any She-Ra episode ever was. Oh yeah, it was really <laughs> <subtle>. <laughs> I don't know that. Not, not to spoil the end of Legend of Korra, but I think that 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 last shot of Legend of Korra is not that subtle, in my opinion. But it's pretty yeah, subtle. It's, it's, it's pretty really clear. <laughs> Friends it's, it's hold clear. hands. It's subtle. It was a direct. Yeah, I, guess, I, guess I need to a kiss. The romantic ending of. Which is why I enjoyed the comics, which, like, immediately, first issue was like, yeah, and they kissed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, yes. and they kissed, and they directly referred to each other as girlfriends. So it's improving. Um, there's also a movie that recently came out, Mitchells and the Machines. One of the main characters is gay um, of that, although that could have been more... It's there, but it could have been more clearly communicated. You know, it is, it is throughout the movie, but... It's not a major plot point. But I, okay, I, the only thing I'm going to say to that is, like, I think having it not be a major plot point is, mm -hmm. isn't that in itself kind of a good thing? Because, it is. like, we're basically saying that these characters can happen to be LGBT mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be a big plot. It doesn't have to be a big deal. That's you true. Know? That's very true. It's just, it's just a part of their lives the way being straight is a part of somebody else's yeah. life. And I think that it's absolutely. Especially, like, you know, kids who are growing up now to be able to see that mm -hmm. kind of representation and to see, like, Somebody can be gay, and it's just normalized, and yeah. it's not, not focused yes. on it made a big deal out of. Yeah. I guess my take on it is that it is vastly improving, and what's really helping is that there are a lot of creators who have gotten a very big following of their own, so even if companies don't necessarily treat them well, even if they have to push you know, companies to, you know, include characters to be diverse in this matter, the fans are clearly wanting it. And that is very well shown. It's slow, but we are actually getting better representation every day. But again, yeah, the main main issue I have at the moment is just corporations who, you know, during Pride Month are trying to pretend like, oh yeah, we're we're so we're such a big fan of the gays, and it's like okay, but literally you have uh, gay creators who were working on some of your shows who like are telling stories about how hard they had to work with you specifically to like include representation in their works it's like you can't just use you know this as a banner you gotta actually you gotta do the work 
banner. That's a good transition into the cripple. Oh, yeah, no, that's what you're for that. <laughs> Go ahead, Troy. <laughs> I almost agree with you, Zach. And I'm seeing a lot of people complain about the corporations. But I remember in the 90s where it was okay to abuse us. And it was okay to call us horrible names. It was socially acceptable for companies to work like that. So they were horrible and they were afraid of losing their business and they should have been brave. That's, I do stand there. They should have been brave, but I'm glad that we are past the point of someone not being called out for calling someone any of these derogatory names. You know, it's nice to not fear touching your boyfriend's hand because you don't know what's going to happen. Coming from the South, you never knew what was going to happen because if there's one thing that people could agree on, you would have the racists that would agree, okay, I don't like you, you don't like me, but we're going to kill this queer over here. Deal? Deal. And with corporations taking this, hello, we're here, we see you, now we're advertising to you, it legitimizes us. It really does. It jumps us so far ahead, you know, and I, I hate to be so dramatic with the examples of where we came from. That wasn't so far back, you know. So when the corporations are behind us like this, there's more backing. Will they stick their necks out for us? No, not at all. But it makes people more scared to attack us, if that makes sense. But I'm, I'm seeing a lot of my friends complain about that. And I say the same thing to all of them. I agree with both of you and to a certain degree, like that, yes, like for a lot of these corporations, it is just lip service, but it is still important for them to show that they are at least trying to have the appearance of being allies. Because yes, there was a time again, not too long ago that they wouldn't have even done that because they would want to be controversial, quote unquote. Yeah. So the fact that, you know, they, they are, these companies are actually, you know, changing their banners to be like yes it is it is popular and it is a good look to do that now but like it's the fact that that is the case is is still a step in the right direction yeah as far as like representation goes in 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 nerd culture yes it's getting better there are instances like okay looking at star wars and like the thing that they did at the end of uh (laughs) skywalker (laughs) my problem with that is that it was basically the equivalent of if at the end of return of the jedi uh general maydeed suddenly started making out with mon mothma yeah that would have been like wait what like that that was still my thing it's like there was no indication that there was anything going on between well that was like the the problem i had with uh With Rise of Skywalker, it just it just felt like this, like oh, and here's something for the gays. This, this like, those are, those are like nobody some kind characters. Of love story like, going on. <laughs> yeah, it's like what? It's like why as well have uh, you know Admiral Akbar is gonna start kissing Lando or something? Like it's like what? I don't know. Like <laughs> I mean, Lando would be down. Yeah. yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> the neon nub. Yeah, it's like, no. It makes me giggle. They were trying. Like, I'm not even gonna really bash that because, like, they were trying. It just that 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 just felt a little bit like, oh, here, here you go, gays. You know. But like, they but, did queer bait yeah. us. They uh, did queer bait us for all those yeah. years. 
because we know who the kiss should have been between. All I'm saying is yeah. Finn should have been locking lips. A lot of people feel that way. And I, I think that, actors, that, but... that would have been better because like I, I go back and forth as far as whether I would have actually liked to have seen that. But I think that that was still set up better than the kiss that they actually did have, I will say. Yeah. Um, you know... <laughs> But but I agree with you. I, like there, there there's there's be, like it's it's getting better. Sometimes it feels a little bit like just here you go, and sometimes it does feel like just genuine. Like we're we're normalizing LGBTQ characters. And yes. Like I'm glad it's happening across the board in you know live action animation comics things that are geared towards you know younger viewers because like if we're showing heterosexual relationships on screen in kids programming like. We can't act like, oh, like, it's not appropriate for kids just because they're gay. Like, it's mm. like, no, it's the same thing. Like, we have mm. to, like, not act like this is something completely different because it's not. Yeah, I know that uh, Star Trek, I want to I say it's Discovery. Like, they're introducing some non-binary characters on there, mm. which, and, like, I think non-binary characters are in some ways even less represented than, you know, gay and lesbian characters in a lot of ways. You know, oh, yeah. there's still so i'm I'm glad to see that things are moving in a direction and i know that they'll continue in that direction because they they it has been slowly steadily going that way and so i'm happy to to see that the only representation that i remember having as a kid is i saw eddie izzard very young my mom introduced Mm -hmm. me to uh uh, eddie izzard not because Mm -hmm. she thought that i would like his jokes which i did but because they would go out in a dress and high heels and makeup. And my mom knew that stuff like that, I liked, even at an early age, I liked wearing dresses and I felt non-binary, but I didn't know how to word it. I didn't have the words. But Eddie Izzard made me feel like that's me. I'm not alone. When you say non-binaries are, are not represented, you're, you're absolutely right. I love what you said earlier, Sam, and I completely agreed with it. It's important to have characters that are non-binary, gay, straight, and that's not a part of the story. It's just a part of the character mm-hmm. that you pick up. It doesn't have to be mm-hmm. all about that they're trans or that they're gay. Mm-hmm. Just have a regular story and one of the characters is non-binary or gay. You're absolutely right. So many trans people go into LA and Hollywood and they start getting cast as these trans characters. But when they want to play just a woman, when they want to play just a woman, they're not hired. Or when a trans man wants to just go in and be this man character, why can't Iron Man be played by a trans man? It's still work to go, but you're absolutely right. There needs to be stories about where the characters are trans or are gay, but it's not important to the plot at all. They're just there. Let's actually slide into Incredible Hulk. That's what uh, Betsy Ross said. (laughs) (laughs) So, Incredible Hulk from 2008. Full spoilers for this film are up ahead. We'll talk about the characters first. And let's talk about let's talk about Bruce Brucey B. Bruce Banner, played by Edward Norton. I kind of like that this is a version of Banner that seems to have. He's been doing this for a bit. He's gotten used to being on the run. He's gotten used to hiding. He knows. 
how to restart his life after an episode with the Hulk. Apparently too good at that. Like immediately how to get enough money to, you know, one, if you show up naked somewhere, how can I get enough money to buy some pants and uh, restart <laughs> and, you know, start making my way north? He's a very thoughtful version of the character. He's actually pretty in control of himself. Part of my thing with this version of Banner, this version of Hulk, is that he's not, he's not a terrible guy. He is a little bit... In some aspects of his life, he's a little bit, you know, self-centered. He, he doesn't like to let people in, which is understandable, because, you know, he feels that, you know, he's putting them in danger, and that is true um, for most people he's with. But also, in some ways, like, he's madly in love with Betty, but also will, like, randomly kiss the lady that he was flirting with at the factory. Alright, that was a cheat kiss, though, but, yeah, okay. No, it was. (laughs) Yeah, and he's also, like, knows Betty is in a relationship, but, like, doesn't even talk about her boyfriend at all, you know, or bring that up. says, no, we're just gonna restart this romance from when we left it off all those years ago. To be fair, Betty's not much better in that regard, but... My big thing with him is that... It would have been nicer to see a little bit of the toll that all this was taking on him. And it's there a little bit. But just compare with, like, Mark Ruffalo's version. Mark Ruffalo's banner always looks as though there is something just underneath the skin. And whether or not that's just natural anxiety, which makes the Hulk a big, you know, have a tendency to come out. Or whether or not that is the Hulk trying to come out. You know, it's hard to say. But Edward Norton's version doesn't have as I said, he's a very self-controlled, calculating in a lot of ways. He does care about other people. He de- genuinely doesn't want the Hulk to, you know, his, his biggest priority with the Hulk is just to prevent it from hurting other people. Um, he also has a very antagonistic view towards the Hulk. Um, <laughs> he just, he wants to destroy the Hulk as, as much, if not more than Ross does. Um, as a matter of fact, Ross doesn't really want the Hulk dead. He just wants it controlled. Whereas uh, Bruce, for most of this movie, does want to get rid of the Hulk. And, you know, he does, over the course of the film, learn to accept that side of himself a bit more. Learn to, you know, embrace and, you know, learn to, you know, become a little more of that. But for the most part, yeah, he, he's mostly on a journey in the run. But, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I have to say about him. I uh, have to begin this with saying that I would rather masturbate with sandpaper than watch Ed Norton as the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> you try that, though, because I gotta say, from experience, that's not as bad as it seems like it would be. You know, you get, like... Yeah. I mean, if you like it rough, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Look, all I'm saying is... After the first couple of minutes... You know, the first couple of minutes are difficult, but once it starts to get a little bloody and you get a little, uh, you know, fluids going, you know, it starts... It gets pretty easier from there. And, you know, everything's much smoother afterwards. (laughs) Pour some alcohol on for lube. (laughs) You know, when I saw Ed Norton in, uh, I need to stop getting high before I do these. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) When I saw Ed Norton in, um, Fight Club, I was done. I was fucking done. I have not gotten into Ed Norton. I do not think that he is a good actor. I am so sorry. And I felt bad for thinking that because I know how much goes into being an actor. A lot goes into it. And then I find out a lot more goes into Ed Norton's being an actor because when he comes onto a set, he expects to have control over his lines and his script. And I understand that after after a while, you get tired of doing stinkers. I get it. But hey... You are there with a script 
You were paid to do the script. Do the script that you were paid to do. There's so many actors in Hollywood that does that. If say they tell you to ad-lib the lines, fine, ad-lib the lines. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to completely change a script and you want control of it, you're not a writer. You're not. People craft to be writers just as much as they craft to be an actor. And most actors aren't able to get the whole story. And I know it's the title character, but goddamn, Edward Norton, set your ass down. I'm actually, I'm actually not going to disagree with everything you just said. <laughs> Edward Norton is a very notoriously problematic actor uh, behind the scenes. He always has been. <laughs> actually, probably my favorite role of his is the character he plays in Birdman because they wrote the, the character that he plays in Birdman is literally just him. It's like, it's all of the, the asshole yep. problematic control freakness yes. that, that they basically just said, we're going to base a character on you and on your worst qualities. It's interesting that he was like, all right, cool, I'll play that. <laughs> that is his you best know? work. <laughs> it's Bar really none. interesting, but, you know. That is his best work. I really like him in Fight Club. I will actually fight you on that. I think that he's really good in Fight Club. But we won't talk about the fight that we have. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless of anything behind the scenes, I do think that the work that he sh displays on screen, I think he's a very good actor. I actually do. I, I understand completely why he was replaced as Banner because he's a fucking nightmare to work with and nobody should have to put up with that. No. Like, you know, it's it's like, and, and I'm not saying that I like him better than Mark Ruffalo. Like, I, I can, it's the thing, like, I can like two different takes on a character and not necessarily, like, like I, I, to be honest, I actually do think that Ruffalo is a, slight, is a better Bruce Banner. I actually do. But that doesn't mean that I don't also think Edward Norton was good. I think Edward Norton was actually good. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said, Zach, like if anything, I might have a little bit more of a positive uh, view of his overall character because it's like we're gonna get to the Betty Doc Sampson thing going on because I, I actually do have somewhat similar thoughts on uh, that that you do on, on that Zach, but like j just the fact that look, it had been a long time since Bruce and Betty had seen each other. They didn't really know where they stood with each other. What their what what the hell is our relationship status? Yeah. She had chosen to move on with her love life, and he was maybe making a step towards also doing that again he kissed the he kissed her on the cheek as his way of saying thanks for helping me out though i know that there was some heat going on between them but it was like that was like a oh that you know hey marta you that was sweet of you to help me out but, you know, <laughs> scary, uh, yeah <laughs> i guess like i i know that there's there's flirting going on i just didn't necessarily view that as being any kind of a uh, disrespect towards betty like, <laughs> anyway. it's like look hey they don't know what their relationship is and be and not like he just like took her face and made out with <laughs> you know it's like i don't know but that's that's a whole that's a whole other thing but yeah no like i i do think i think he's a good character i i i buy him like i think norton does a good job of showing that balance between kind of the the scientist bruce banner and the fugitive bruce banner that like yeah there's he's a very thoughtful character like i buy his intelligence i buy that he's this, this <laughs> scientist guy i th i really do i think he's a good banner I, I i i think that he fits the character well and there's something about like one thing that i'll say about him over mark ruffalo is like i think that there's something about norton specifically as this like fugitive character i really buy that aspect of him you know i like, like just the kind of like like there's kind of a, a dorkiness to uh, to Ruffalo's banner, which I love, but 
I kind of like the fact that with with this banner, like without still not like he still seems like the the, the scientist character, but he he feels very comfortable like being on the run at this point. Like he's very like he, he he's able to do these chase scenes. He's very he seems very like lean and athletic and all that. It's a different take on the character. At the time that this movie came out, we were not yet introduced to Mark Ruffalo. This was definitely my favorite Bruce Banner up to that point. I actually do like, and I, I like Eric Banner's Bruce Banner, but I think that I actually like Norton more than Banner. I, th- I I think that he overall is a more interesting character, and I, I like the writing, I like the performance. There's enough kind of darkness to him, with, like in a different way than, than the uh, Mark Ruffalo version, where there there is a bit of that, that anger under the surface. But yes, as you said, Zach, it is a little bit more controlled in some ways, but... He's at this point, like he's he's been on the run as the Hulk for some time. When we get to the beginning of this movie, and he's just trying to keep a lid on himself. He's trying to control himself. If we're gonna compare other actors, I honestly do think that Mark Ruffalo is the best Hulk, and I really liked Eric Bana. I love Eric Bana. He's mm-hmm. a phenomenal actor. But there was something that Bill Bixby, whenever it came out on on. Uh, Whenever it was re-released in the 80s, my grandmother and my uncle, my uncle was a little slow, and my grandmother and my uncle would watch it because my uncle would talk about that show like it was God's gift to mankind. So I watched it as a child, and I actually re-watched it about a year ago. There are a lot of subtleties that Bill Bixby brought to The Incredible Hulk that was fucking phenomenal. He's right behind Mark Ruffalo because Mark Ruffalo nails it. He really does. But Bill Bixby, he made the Hulk and Bruce Banner a very, very interesting character. I know Lou Ferrigno played the Hulk, and that's that's a fucking other story. But Bill Bixby was pretty phenomenal. That's all I've ever experienced that actor from. I would like to watch more of his work. I just never have had the time. It's funny. There's actually a Bill Bixby cameo in this movie where he's flipping channels and Bill Bixby shows up at one yes. point on, on, one, on one of the stations. And yes. It's like, yeah, they, they found a way to, to give him a cameo, which I thought was great. And then, of course, Lou Ferrigno also has a cameo. But since he's actually still alive, they could actually put him in the movie. But uh, you'll, you'll gasp at me saying this. I haven't actually watched the Incredible Hulk TV show. <gasps> I haven't either. So I, I can't actually judge uh, the Bill Bixby version, but I know a lot of people really love that version as well. You know, here's the, the thing about Eric Bana. I th- I do think that the problem with that movie was not Bill Bixby. I will say that. I think, or, or, or uh, the problem with that movie was not Eric Bana. Excuse me. It definitely wasn't Bill Bixby because he wasn't even in the movie. So, um, <laughs> so but it's hard to really judge. Right? Like maybe I should actually rank him higher. It's just like sometimes it's hard to separate. Is it the actor that i don't like or is it the movie that i don't like because i just don't like that hulk movie personally and that's that's a whole other subject i think the movie was weak yeah it's not a very good movie but but eric barno was good he was actually a good hulk i will say he was, he was a good bruce banner well i do want to talk about the hulk himself the way he's kind of uh, portrayed in this movie it, it's a it's a classic version of the hulk you know he's angry he's smashing shit they've gotten better with it with every movie they've done i do think that the cg effects of hulk are significantly better in this movie than they were in the 2003 hulk if you look at it side by side like the 2003 hulk looks super janky and pretty shitty it honestly does like this cg is not perfect but it actually holds up pretty well 
I feel. It's hard to do these, like, these very humanoid, th these very human-looking characters in CG and have them look realistic, but they've gotten better with every movie, and I think that they, they, I think they did a good job with it in this movie, and I think they did a good job of, uh, creating a sense of anticipation for the Hulk showing up. You know, that we'll, we'll get to the chase in, in Rio, but when he becomes the Hulk for the first time and like you just, you just see his eyes turn green at first. And then, you know, like the, the, re the reveal of the Hulk I thought was very cool. And one detail that I've only picked up on rewatching this movie is like, there's one part in that first scene where the soldiers uh, led by Blonsky are j just seeing like, like the fog that the Hulk is in. And you, you kind you hear like some, I thought it was just growling at first. You actually hear the Hulk saying, Leave me alone. Which is like, it's so cool. It's such a cool moment when you pick up on that because like, it's it's hard to hear, but like, it's like I, I liked the way that they, they portrayed the Hulk in this movie of even within this movie, you can start to see he's becoming more and more intelligent as the Hulk and especially like his, his interactions with, you know, the fact that he does recognize Betty uh, within the film. Uh, and then of course, I'm saying Hulk smash in the, at the climax as well. So yeah, this was... Pretty much a faithful adaptation of Hulk from the comics. I also like, yeah, I'm pretty sure we're going to get into a little more of, you know, his overall, you know, character arc. But I do like the Hulk actually does have a, he has, he has a bit of a journey, a bit of a character arc through this film, um, slightly separate from Banner. Like, obviously they're tied together for very clear reasons, but I do like at the beginning, you know, he apart from saying leave me alone, Hulk at the beginning of this movie is very much a driven by instinct. For the most part, rage and fear, you know, strongly reacting to pain. Over the course of this movie, not only does Banner, you know, get a stronger control of the Hulk, the Hulk actually gets a stronger control of himself, too. He starts to have emotions other than just rage and frustration and anger. You know, those are still some of the core emotions that will bring him out. But, you know, with Betty, he's, you know, able to feel, you know, a little more comforted. He's a little more curious about the world around him. And especially during the fight with the Abomination, we'll get, you know, into the nitty gritty of the fight scene with it. But I love that that fight actually has several moments where we see him more thoughtful. Um, like there's a moment when the, you know, Abomination gets back up and we see... Hulk actually have, like, a moment of reaction where he's just like, Ugh. like, kind of sighs and looks off before getting back in the battle. You know, where he sees the fire and puts it out with the clap from his hands, which is requires a little bit of thought on his part. And, of course, you know, when he brings out the uh, response of Hulk smash, you know, this iconic line there. But, yeah, I, I just like that we do see the Hulk start to develop into a kind of person of his own. Which obviously gets much more explored in later movies as well. But, you know, I, I do like that we start to see that here. That it's not just a big, angry monster version of Banner. It is actually his own character in a way. Well, the thing that I like about him saying Hulk smash is that that to me shows a level of self-awareness as far as how he's perceived. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, Abomination saying, any last words? Uh, like... Like him saying Hulk smash almost feels like it's like you guys you guys are ready for wait for it. it's like this is how you guys view me so I'm gonna give it to you you know mm -hmm. I don't know like maybe maybe I'm reading into that but it's like you guys want the monster here's the monster type thing you know that mm -hmm. that was kind of how I kind of viewed that that showed a level of self awareness the fact the fact that he was able to kind of 
think to say that of all things. I want to talk about Arwen Evenstar. Uh, excuse me, uh, Betty Ross. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, Troy. Well, I'll let you start. What do you think of Betty, played by Liv Tyler? Why? Why? <laughs> it's a waste of screen. I really don't like the love stories. I, I think they're stupid. Uh, so what? Who fucking cares? You're a good actress, great job on what they gave you, but why do we have to have a love story? Why does there have to be a love interest? Why? It's a wasted character. There's this phenomenon that I coined while watching a lot of CW shows a while back that I call a uh, young woman uh, breathlessly waiting on a rooftop. Uh, there was not a rooftop in this movie. <laughs> Everything else was like to a T. It's basically a character who should and perhaps could have their own art. But at some point during the film, they're going to stand on a rooftop or on a bridge in the rain or something and just breathlessly say, the hero, what's their name? And they'll be like fascinated and their entire arc is going to be given over to their obsession with the person who's going to be their love interest one day. And I hate that trope so much. Good Lord. And Betty Ross is perhaps, again, despite not having a rooftop, she's like one of the worst examples of that because... Her whole arc in this movie, her entire story in this movie is just, I love Bruce. That's it. That is her arc. And also that she has a fallout with her father, but that's a spinoff of I love Bruce. She doesn't have anything else going on whatsoever. And apart from them both being, you know, fairly attractive people, what do they like about each other? We don't know because we don't actually see, we see the fascination with each other the fact that they're obsessed with each other we don't see why we don't see them joking we don't see them talking passionately about each other's interests we don't see them you know really you know getting along with each other so apart from the physical attraction what's here i don't know but she's not enough of her own entity in this film to really be like a proper romantic partner which immediately makes the romance arc suck and since that's all of her character, I don't, kind of don't like the character in the film at all. I like Liv Tyler, but I really hate to say it because also there's not that many female characters in this film. Actually, yeah, there's barely any female characters in this movie, good lord. But yeah, she just, she doesn't have much of a character and because of that, she, the fact that she takes up so much of the screen time is, yeah. I wish she was a character is essentially what I'm saying. I wish she was genuinely her own real character. Liv Tyler has been fucked over so many times in her career with these shitty, flat, written, I'm gonna wait on the guy fucking bullshit. Seriously. She's a phenomenal actor. Give her something. You're not wrong with a lot of that, Zach. <laughs> I actually kind of like the character for myself, but I hear, what, I hear what you're saying and I hear where you're coming from. I do think that they could have done more with her. I think that for myself, it was important for Bruce, whether this character had to be a love interest or not, I think it was important for him to have a confidant, mm -hmm. somebody to some somebody that he has a personal connection to. Having that character be a scientist who also worked on the project makes a lot of sense. Yes, the the fact that they made her a love interest maybe does feel a little bit like obligatory. This is a superhero movie that needs a love interest type thing. 
But I do think that there was actually a function for her character beyond being a love interest. And I think she, again, she didn't have to be a love interest. But again, they're also being faithful to, like, the Bayross character is the long-term love interest of, of Bruce Banner in the comic books. Mm -hmm. I liked her fine in this movie. I, I honestly did. I, I Again, I haven't seen the 2003 Hulk in a long time, but like I, th I honestly do think that this movie handled the Betty character better than that movie did, personally. Because, again, I, I, I really do think like there, there were ways in which, you know, she did move the story forward. She was the person that had the, the, the data uh, that he was, he was after for... The, the, the Hulk data that he was after mm -hmm. the, to, to give to uh, um, Dr. Stern later on. I think that there are certain things about her storyline that could have been expanded more. I do have some problems with the way the Doc Samson character is, was handled, which we'll get to in a second. But mm -hmm. as far as, like, why, why do they like each other? I think that there is a bit of a kindred spirit thing of, you know, they're both... They, they, they respect each other because they're both scientists. They're both peers. Like, and I, I do feel that energy with each other of... They're two people that, because they're both really smart scientists, there there is a kind of mutual respect that they have for each other, which I could uh, I could imagine that leading to a uh, an attraction. And and there are moments with her that I really like. Like there are little comic relief moments with her that I really like. Like her and Bruce in, in the cab, you know, where after they get out, you know, Bruce is like, hey, I could teach you some techniques with that anger. She's like, No, you zip it, you know. It's like there there are these funny little <laughs> moments, you know. Uh, that, that, that I enjoy with her. So overall, I, I, I think that, it, again, it was important to, whether this needed to be a love interest or not, I think that it was important for Bruce to have a character who was a personal connection to him, uh, to help humanize him and to give him a confidant within the movie. And so I I'm, I actually do overall like her. and She's not the best character ever. She's not the best love interest ever, but I like her in the movie. So I'm definitely a lot more, like, warm on her than, than I think you guys are overall. But I did actually have a problem with, uh, and you kind of touched on this, Zach, of the fact that when we when Bruce re-enters her life, she's dating Doc yeah. Sampson, who, as soon as Bruce shows up, she apparently just immediately sweeps under the rug, kicks to the curb. All right, yeah. bye, dude. It's like, what? <laughs> it's actually since it really seems like there's actually nothing wrong with this guy. He seems completely like a good dude. I don't know. Like, are, are, yeah. you, are, do you, are you guys with me on that? Like, I, I just, no, I'm 100% of that. Like, literally, they were <laughs> dating at a restaurant, and then she leaves the restaurant and then, like, completely ignores him for the entire rest of the movie. It's like, wow. Like, literally the second she thought she saw Bruce... She drops Doc Samson like a bag of bricks. Like, good lord. I do think that Doc Samson did not need to be in this movie. I know, so Do mm. Doc Samson is actually a fairly, uh, like, like he, he's a character from the Hulk comic books. And I know, okay, so there, there are two things. I know that they maybe wanted to establish him so that they could bring him back if they made another Hulk movie. That was one reason why, why he was in this movie. I also know that there was a series of deleted scenes from this movie in which Bruce does actually decide, oh, you're dating a psychiatrist? You know, I should probably see a psychiatrist. And he actually has a couple <laughs> of sessions with Doc Samson. But because those scenes ended up being cut, it just, we're just kind of left with this character that we're wondering, wait, why is he in this movie? You know, like, 
And yeah, I do think it was like, I actually really like the one scene with Samson and uh, General Ross where, you know, Samson is just like, yeah, I used to wonder why she never talked about you. It's like, I thought that was actually a good scene. It's like, I kind of actually do want to see more of this character. I think he yeah. is actually good. I think he is actually a good character, but he doesn't really serve... <laughs> He doesn't really serve much of a function in this movie. And I just, I think that it would have been nice to have maybe even gotten an addressing of her relationship with him. Because, like, as it's shown in the movie, it kind of, like, I was like, why, why, why did they cut to Doc Stamps? He's just like, you know, he's like calling, he's like getting her voicemail and saying like, uh, hey, are we still dating? Like, what? You just, like, ran out of the restaurant. Like, what? <laughs> you haven't talked to me in, like, five days? Like, what? what's, go what's going on? <laughs> And I get it. Your new boyfriend is, yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, listeners, I was making a very uh, rude hand gesture with both hands, uh, spaced roughly a foot and a half apart. But <clears throat> uh, but yes. <laughs> so so yeah, I, I we're, we're we're all on the same page for the most part as far as Dog Samson goes. But again, but I I, I enjoy I I overall like the Betty Ross character, but I understand why you don't. But, uh, okay, so her dad, General Ross, I thought it was a little bit strange that they decided to make it a kind of a minor plot twist that he's her dad. It was like, what's the point of preserving the mystery around this? But, you know, yeah. whatever. But, yeah, William Hurt, uh, playing the, the, the character of Ross from, from the, the comics and previous media. I don't know, Zach, what did you think of Ross? Every single version of Ross that has ever appeared has been an obsessive bastard with very little regard for other people, barely even any regard for himself, just obsessed with power and keeping it under his control. And this is absolutely the version we have. This version, of course, does find his heart almost too late, where he realizes that it's like, okay, it's not actually worth my daughter's life, but he's very he's willing to cut it very close. Yeah, he's he's also like an incredibly greedy character. Like he has uh I want to say Blonsky is the name of the abomination. Yes. So he has successfully tested with Blonsky that the super soldier serum they have not only works, but it can even works better than they thought because you know Blonsky had all of his bones pulverized and he healed in like a few days completely. It's like that's it. That's his super soldier serum. Just go with that. But no, he wants the Hulk. He wants the most power that he can get out of this. Even though, again, he like had a successful super soldier and can definitely recreate that. But he's, he's a dick. So yeah, it's it's a very faithful version of the character. I thought that you know, William Hurt played him very well. Um, managed to get that across. And... Um, ultimately, yeah, good introduction to the character. I agree. I think it's a very faithful version of the character. I think that William Hurt is probably my favorite actor who has played him on screen. He was interestingly played by Sam Elliott in the 2003 movie, which <laughs> has the look, but was maybe a little too, uh, maybe a little too mellow and chill to be, to be Ross, I felt, but you know, but uh, no, I think William Hurt absolutely nailed this, this character. And I think that honestly, I think Ross is one of the highlights of this movie for me. I think that he was a great antagonist. I think that he it was just complex enough. I do like the fact that, he, again, like like you said, Zach, he does end up finding his heart almost too late, but he, he ultimately 
does want to protect his daughter and he has that that connection but he, he overall like i think he's such a staple for incredible hulk storylines he, he kind of is is mainly the I, I i would argue kind of the main antagonist of this movie i mean Bl- blonsky as well but no it's it's russ but yeah i i think that uh, this was a great uh, introduction for for this and of all the things that they carried over from this movie I'm glad that the one thing that they carried over from this movie into the rest of the MCU was William Hurt as as Ross. I think that he's I think that was a great casting and I think that he did a great job playing the character. I agree. Um William Hurt is a phenomenal actor. I absolutely love him and I do think that he nailed this character. He made a good secondary villain. Um they also made him a more rounded villain with him finding his heart. I really like the rhythms that they gave gave this character he's one of the high points of the movie yeah we're yay we found one where we all <laughs> <need>. consensus <laughs> is pretty good <laughs> well no he's a bastard but we like that he's a bastard yeah no he's great he's like, a good he's, bastard he's exactly what the character needed to be yes he's exactly what the character needed to be he's very faithful to to the comics Ross, yes and and he worked within the context of this movie all right, Blonsky, Emil Blonsky, uh, played by uh, Tim Roth, is the next topic. The Russian-British soldier, which like, I, I like the fact that uh, there's this line where uh, Ross is talking to him. is like, "Hey, how old are you, Blonsky? Forty-five? Is like, it's like I'm thirty-nine. It's like, it's like, fuck you, man. <laughs> but it's like, but they're they're kind of that was always kind of a comment because like Tim Roth was not thirty-nine when they shot this movie. Let's be honest, but yeah. you know. <laughs> But, but yeah, no, like, I, I really enjoy this character. I thought, I thought Tim Roth did a good job playing him. And I really enjoyed the part in the middle where he was basically like Captain America Blonsky, you know, where he mm-hmm. did have the super soldier. He's like running past all the soldiers and for a second going toe to toe with the Hulk, you know, flipping around, doing all those dodges, yep. using the, the pieces of metal, like, you know. It's like, that, I thought that was a really fun uh, kind of sequence. And then him slowly degrading over the course of the movie, uh, being more and more, like, you start to see the spines on his, his back uh, even before he uh, takes the uh, injection to actually become the abomination. Uh, but, like, I enjoy seeing his overall transformation. And, yeah, I think Tim Roth did a good job playing this guy as being this kind of asshole, jarhead, bloodthirsty soldier. Like, I, I, I really bought the character. I thought he had a, fu- a fun uh, presence within the movie. He's he's not a complex villain at all. He likes the action. He likes feeling the power, and frankly, he likes killing. He, he's not he's not particularly complicated. I did like seeing him, you know, in that you know morally gray Captain America. It's like Captain America without the heart. There, yeah, it kind of makes sense as a you know villain type of thing where you have a guy who all his life has you know wanted that feeling of power. Has always wanted that feeling of being able to beat out anyone else in his life you can imagine why he finds you know those superpowers very addictive and constantly wanting more i also found it an interesting touch that when he does become you know the abomination unlike hulk he doesn't seem to be suffering from any sort of uh, mental degradation he seems to pretty much still be emil blonsky in there but you know emil blonsky was just always this this is you know just himself writ large um, and unfortunately, he lost his junk too, which, you know, that's what happens. Either you wear the pants or your junk falls off. Or, you know. My dick fell off! <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of the dangers of, you know, superpowers in films. You gotta, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, overall, I thought that he was, uh, like, not a terribly interesting um, antagonist, but, yeah, he worked pretty well. I thought the CGI at the end was a bit... We'll get into the fight later, but um, I do think that it was, uh, you know, they, they were just working around the limits they had at the time, you know. No complex textures, no hair, and, you know, always kept him in dark lighting, but... That's um, interesting. I actually really like the CG for Abomination. I thought the CG for Abomination looked better than the CG for Hulk. For, for it did, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's fair. I do agree <laughs> with that. I, I really liked it. I thought, like, it was really good yeah. for 2008. Yes. You also, you it was, absolutely. That. It was really good for 2008. I completely agree. It was really yeah. good for 2008. You know, I, I'm not going to complain about the VFXs because VFXs, the VFX, because I do think that they, I think they gave us the best they could. Richard Maul was the voice for Abomination in the 90s, and that's where I remember it from. And anybody that doesn't know Richard Maul, um, I fucking loved him as a kid because there was a show called Night Court, and he played the character of Bull. And he was tall and silly and funny. Um, most kids might remember him from Scary Movie as the ghost, maybe Scary Movie 2. Um, but Richard Ball could have played him in real life. He was very, very big. Um, but Tim Roth is a phenomenal actor. Um, and I think that he did a really good job at, at giving us this great villain. I, I always say your movie's only going to be as good as your villain. I will always say that. I'm so sad that I don't like this movie because he was a great villain. He was. He makes a great villain. He's made a career out of being the bad guy. But that's what we do with these English people. Uh, I think he's English anyway. (laughs) (laughs) No, he is, yes. Okay. But I think that he is a phenomenal actor. There's always something going on in his eyes. And he's thinking about the moment before and where he's going to move to next. I absolutely love this character because of that. He fills that archetype, and it's believable. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, uh, so throughout the movie, of course, Banner is uh, communicating with somebody codenamed Mr. Blue, which, you know, I remember the first time watching this movie thinking that it was going to turn out to actually be somebody who's chasing after him. It's it's like, oh, yeah, send me all the data. Please. Some, oh, somebody tried to get the data for their own purposes, which, hmm. you know, and, uh, it, there's, there's some truth to that. But no, like it... Ended up being uh, Samuel Stern, played by uh, Tim Blake Nelson, uh, who actually was pretty much what what he was presenting himself to be, but just ended up perhaps being a less ethical scientist than, you know, yeah. Banner <laughs> might have liked. Uh, but yeah, I love Tim Blake Nelson. I, I actually really enjoyed this character. Uh, what, what did you guys think of him? It's Tim Blake Nelson. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I deeply love Tim Blake Nelson. I also just love that line. It's like, no, I'm just, just making sure that you had informed consent beforehand. It's like, well, this man has got his morals on straight. I will create a crazy, giant, evil monster man. I just want you to know what you're getting into before you get into that. <laughs> exactly. I'm a little upset that we never got him, uh, got to see the character flourish or that they never brought it back. I agree. Um, they set him up to become the leader, which is a character from Hulk comic yep. books. They showed uh, at the end, because, like, the leader is green and has this big swollen head, and they show his, there's something stripping into his head and it swells up. Like, they totally set him up to be the leader, which could have been a future Hulk villain. Yeah. 
And I, to be honest, even to this day, I hope they still can they do could. something with that. Because, A, Tim, Tim Blake Nelson is too good of an actor to not use. And they just, they, they totally set it up. And I think it's, it's one of the biggest, in my opinion, it's one of the biggest loose ends of the MCU. I completely agree. In my opinion, that, that, that they haven't revisited. Not only one of the biggest uh, loose ends, but one of the biggest problems I've had. I would love to see... Huge missed opportunity. It's, it's still time. They can still bring him back as one of the villains. They really can. And I think they can do a lot with him. You know where I hope they bring him in is in the She-Hulk TV show they're going to do. Because I think he would be a perfect villain for She-Hulk. Yeah. Because uh, She-Hulk being the more uh, intelligent version of the... Mm-hmm. Of course, Hulk is, is intelligent at this point in the MCU. But, but yeah. She-Hulk known for being the more intelligent. Like, it feels like... To have the more intelligent villain for her to go up against, to me, would would feel very fitting. Oh, yeah. I feel. Um, I'd watch the show if they did that, because I love stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm on board with the show anyways, because I love Tatiana Maslany. Absolutely. I'm down for it. But I, I want to see Tim Blake Nelson break out in this role, because he's a phenomenal actor. And I would love to see what he does with just his... Absolutely. He's very Jokerish, you know, and I would love to see what he does with mm-hmm. his character. I think they did a good job in this movie. That this is kind of an offshoot that that just I, I thought of while talking about the Sam, Sam Stern character. I think they did a good job of explaining the pseudoscience in this movie in a way that was easy to follow without feeling like they're talking down yeah. to us. Um, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. There are elements that get a little bit convoluted, but like the whole thing of when they're they're trying to hear the Hulk of like, okay, did we just hear the Hulk or did we just suppress that episode? They did a good job of like explaining how uh, all that, the uncertainty of all of that so that there was, I mean, we all know he's going to become the Hulk when he falls out of the plane, but still like creating a little bit of, uh, at least like pretending like we're having some tension about whether he's actually going to turn into the Hulk when, when that happens. Uh, so, yeah, I, I really, all, all the scenes with Stern, I really enjoyed. Like, he was, he was likable, but also kind of a, <laughs> kind of a mad scientist, evil bastard at the same time. Let's talk about some of these action scenes. I want to get a little deeper into the Rio de Janeiro, uh, sequence, the first transformation, and also the chase leading into it. I am a sucker for a good foot chase through urban environments in movies. Like, I don't know, like, I, I, I like those more than I like car chases. I just think there's a lot you could do with, like... And and Rio de Janeiro is such a city that's just perfect for that because there's all these rooftops you can, like, jump onto and, like... Is there, there's a lot of verticality to it of, of like the elevation. I, I think it sh- it, that, that was just a well shot chase sequence, uh, in my opinion, with a lot of different, you know, kind of levels to it. What did you guys think of that whole sequence? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I feel more strongly about this sequence than you guys do. I, don't know. I, I really <laughs> no, enjoy it. But. It's, a, it's a good chase. It's a good chase. Um, I like that the first transformation is. We get this tension of seeing when and where he's... Because I do like that we see him, you know, actively using those skills he's been training to use to, you know, suppress the Hulk, keep his heart rate down, still get away while still remaining himself, how to deal with the stressful situation with as himself. Which he actually does an admirable job of. He he almost got away if it weren't for those, like, three rando assholes um, yeah. who were somehow more effective at trapping him than a special forces team. But... <laughs> You know, government funding for these military operations. It's, it's got my doubt. But, uh, yeah, overall, that was great. Um, him uh, finally cutting loose in the bottling plant was fantastic. Um, I also, just as a side note, I really love the scene right afterwards where he's like, 
wait, what? what is like, no, I don't speak Portuguese. Wait, where am I? Oh, you're in Guatemala. It's like, <laughs> the Hulk travels. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, I, I had looked it up on the map afterwards because I was expecting Guatemala to be, like, a neighboring country. Guatemala is super far. Like, it's super, super Fucking far. Nowhere. Like, it's up in <laughs> Central America. You know what? What I like about the first transformation about the of the Hulk, too, is that it, I, they made the Hulk a horror movie monster. Like, that, that is that is a, a big thing that, that, that I think is important to do when you're doing stories about the Hulk is that the Hulk is fucking scary. And I think really making him a horror movie monster as well as... Because he's also an action hero. And he's an action hero at the end of this movie. But starting off of, like, making him... You know, doing it from the perspective of the soldiers and making the Hulk scary, I thought was... I thought it was very well done. I thought it was very well directed and, and shot. I do like that they used it and made it seem like he was this horror monster. It was... It was beautifully done and beautifully shot. That's something that they carried over from the Bill Bixby Incredible Hulk as well. Um, they treated the Hulk like he was a monster uh, to be feared, and it was just... I thought it was well done. Uh, any thoughts on the college campus lawn battle? This is the first time we see Hulk in, in broad daylight in the in this movie. Uh, it's a cool fight. I, I like the, 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 the sonic things that they, they attacked him with. Like I, I, th- I, thought, I thought there were some really cool yeah. things in, in this battle, and then seeing, again, Blonsky... Mm-hmm. As just human super soldier version of Blonsky going toe-to-toe with the Hulk, I thought was cool. But, of course, ending it yeah. with the Hulk just punting him into a tree, I thought just, <laughs> it's, it's just a great end to, to that whole yes, sequence. Yeah. It kind of showed that the Hulk was... He's, he's powerful, but he's not 100% unstoppable. Like, the Sonic things yeah. um, were actually very effective against him. If it wasn't for... One of the things about the Hulk that's always been the case in the comics, the shows, and everything, is that the Hulk is... Um, as a character, as both a as both hero and monster, is very much driven by his emotions at any given time. In a weird parallel to DC, his strength is related to his willpower, which is fueled by either anger or other emotions, usually anger. And so the fact that he really was almost overpowered until he saw, you know, Betty getting wrestled, you know, giving him that burst of strength, and for Hulk, you know, that you know, literally means he gets a little bit bigger and juicier, you know, to finally overcome that. I also like that we see Hulk... Um, in the first fight scene in Rio, he's just bashing and, you know, kind of mindlessly attacking. In this scene, we see Hulk start to use tactics. Takes off pieces of that... I'm still not sure if it was just a car or if it was also, like, an ornament. Um, some kind of art piece. Um, he uses that as, you know, both the weapons and shields um, to defend himself. Um, he uh, thinks it through to use them to um, take out the sonic devices... As I said earlier, Hulk goes through a bit of a journey. This is a... We start to see a little bit more thoughtful Hulk. Um, Not just purely instinctive. Ah, yes. The thoughtful Hulk. The next Hulk movie coming out. Actually, that that is what it would be if if they made another MCU Hulk movie. It could be called the thoughtful Hulk. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so um, I I do like that. I liked the Milbonsky Silver Soldier thing. Um, I also like that it shows just how far Ross is willing to go with this. That he's... Willing to bring in this much firepower on a college campus with no warning, not telling anyone else that he really has no limits to what he will go to. You know, no matter how much shit he would normally be put under. But no, this is, um, Ross is using the full power of the U.S. government. You know, later on we find out that, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. is Hydra and all that. But we do see at this early stage in the universe how um, untrustworthy this version of the U.S. government was. 
um, that they would do all this as a clandestine mission, putting U.S. lives at risk. Which, you know, it's not great when they do it, you know, in Rio or when they pull all that, but, you know, it just shows how far they're willing to go for their own aim. Hey, to make an omelet, you gotta break some white eggshells. I guess if, if there's nothing more to add as far as that goes, let's go to the main event, Hulk v. Abomination. Hulk versus Abomination. At the end, the, bi- the big, big fight that we've all been waiting for. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad that we got uh, a battle in one of these movies where Hulk is fighting something that actually poses a threat to him. You know? Yeah. It's like, like that's, that's actually evenly matched. If anything, with Abomination, maybe having an edge over Hulk because as you said, Zach, like he still has all the intelligence. He seems to have all the intelligence of Blonsky and Blonsky. It was already a fighter before he became uh, the abomination as opposed to Bruce Banner's a scientist. So yeah. it's, it is kind of, he's, that, he's uh, got some kickboxing training, but uh... <laughs> exactly <laughs> overall, uh, my biggest complaint with the fight scene is that their designs were actually not too similar. So their, their silhouettes were pretty different, but with the specific lighting that they chose, and I know they chose it because this is, you know, 2008 CGI, they had some limitations. Um, so they wanted it to be, you know, relatively darker. But because of that, it was actually a little hard to make out um, which character is which at times, just because Hulk's, you know, distinctive green color, you couldn't see that. He looked like he was basically the same color as the Abomination um, in that lighting that they chose. Um, I do like the actual fight dynamics. That it is a very appropriately for Hulk famously played by Lou Ferrigno for years. Um, he's fighting, you know, Blonsky's, you know, still using, um, you know, proper army methods. Hulk is basically a wrestling fighter writ large. You know, it, where you have, like, wrestling characters enter the ring with fantastic, you know, weapons. It's like, okay, so he is really bringing in a cop car that he turned into boxing gloves. Um, they really are bringing in a bell with a massive chain that we're using to attack. So yeah, it was it was an inventive fight scene. You know, it was fun. Um, loved seeing like the classic wrestling moves. And again, I also just liked seeing that um, we do get a little bit more of Hulk with a personality during this fight. So yeah, overall, I thought it was just a you know good, fun, classic uh, brawl at the end. Although I did at the end of the movie, I did constantly think it's like okay, so Hulk leaves. And the Abomination's, like, clearly not turning back into Blonsky. Like, he's still, like, the Abomination shape. I guess that he might permanently be that. Uh, what are they going to do when he wakes up in, like, you know, 30 seconds? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no problem now, guys. Peace. Hulk out. <laughs> uh, I think it's sold toys. I think they marketed the, the fight uh, to sell toys. That's really something that that these distributors think about all right so this is all this is actually why tim burton was fired from doing batman because you have to think about merchandise will there be merch oh this fight has it all we can sell lots of merch from it and we're gonna have them use cars as boxing gloves Ah! so as a side tension in there one thing that i caught like watching batman and robin is how ridiculously fucking toyetic that movie is like how many costume changes yep. they have how many like weird gadgets they have and it's just like this is literally just a sell toys. with that said with that said 
It's a monster fight. Of course I fucking loved it. It's a monster fight. <laughs> I'm the one that... I was going to say, Troy, like, if you of all people didn't like this fight, then I was going to say, you're just hating on this movie to hate fuck. on it. So I mean, I'm glad you always like Fuck. It. <laughs> Seriously, you have these two gigantic so-and-sos beating the shit out of each other, using every fucking thing around them to beat each other up with. My simple mind is like, this is pretty fucking good. <laughs> it's the best part of the movie. It was worth it. <laughs> and that's what I looked at. I mean, the fight was fucking awesome. It looked like it was choreographed and then put on film. You know, it's so fuck it. Yeah. It entertained me. I had my popcorn. I had my Coke. And I had two monsters beating the shit out of each other. I was in simple heaven. <laughs> That's just how I feel. I, I, I do think this is the highlight. It's like, fuck all this love story. Fuck all this plot building. Who gives a care? Who gives a care if there's a story? Give me the fighting monsters. <laughs> <laughs> I I um agree with you guys. I th I really like this fight a lot. Um, I actually disagree with one thing you said, Zach. I for myself, I never had a hard time telling them apart. I thought I think that they're uh, and I, I thought the lighting was fine. I I felt like I could personally make everything out that was happening, and I I think that their uh, silhouettes are distinctive enough that i i personally never had a hard time seeing who was hulk and who was abomination and i think that it wasn't shot in that kind of obnoxious like born supremacy i don't know what the fuck's going on type way oh like, my god i hate that like, shit I, yeah. could tell, I could follow the fight the whole time I, I could keep track of who was who the whole time i could keep track of what was going on the entire time i thought it was very well shot i thought the cg was very good especially for the time um i really do i i honestly really like the cg for like like I think the CG for the Hulk, again, like, I think it looked good for, for the time, and I think it holds mm -hmm. up to me pretty well. I honestly do think it holds up pretty it well. It was but good for the time. I think Abomination looks great. Yeah. I honestly do. I think Abomination looks fantastic. I think that's probably my favorite CG in the movie. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think there were some really good little kind of beats uh, with, within the fight itself. Like, I love the... Uh, you know, the beginning, the, the soldiers, you know, shooting the RPG and Abomination just, like, just catching it and smashing it in his hand. I thought, like, there are just some really cool things that happen in this fight. And then, again, using the car as, as the uh, the gloves. Like, that's something that a few years before this movie came out, there was a video game called Incredible Hulk Ultimate Destruction where that was, like, a signature thing where you could pick, as Hulk, you could pick up a car and do that. So when I saw this movie for the first time, I was like, oh, they yeah. did the thing. Yep. You know, it's like, there's, there's this great, like, I hear you're saying about, like, it selling toys, like, I think there's truth to that, but I also think they're just giving Hulk fans what Hulk fans want. I'm not complaining. I really do. I think that they are. I'm not complaining. <laughs> I'm talking about, I'm, I'm saying this is part of the formula. If you're going to make a superhero movie, yeah, you have sure. to think about, will this sell toys? And there has to be a moment in the movie yeah. where there's going to be toys made from it. Um, it's just something you have to think about. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. It, they, it was a little bit of fan, you know, they did it for the fans, but at the same time, it's just fucking awesome. Monsters beating the shit out of each other. Yeah, I agree. It's 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 a really good fight. I think this is a really fun fight. You know, I love him clapping to put the fire out. I love him saying Hulk smash. Like it's like mm -hmm. those moments just they work. Yeah, you know, they're they do. They're 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 kind of goofy, but they work. And yes, he. <laughs> I get has the, the the frame of mind to spare Abomination's life at the end, which I kind of agree with you, Zach. It's like, uh, how are they gonna keep him? 
feel like it might have actually been better if he killed him, but yeah. they have speaking of the She-Hulk TV show, by the way, it is announced Tim Roth is gonna be in the She-Hulk TV show. Oh. So that is that is a thing that they are you actually. Don't get bringing back. They are actually bringing nice. him back. So I am actually excited to see them them bring that back. I'm just like, I keep, I want them to bring stuff back from this movie because they hardly yeah. ever reference the events of this movie. Like, bring stuff back from the Incredible Hulk. I know you recast the character, but the movie is still canon. Yep. But yeah, I mean, I, I do actually want to talk about some of the MCU con- connections. Uh, like, there's, there's kind of a thing. I think they did a good job, even from this movie, of starting to foreshadow the overall arc of Bruce Banner mm-hmm. and Hulk in this movie where... He's talking about, there's a scene where he's talking to Betty and he's like, like Betty is saying like, look, I, I had an experience with Hulk. Like it really felt like it was still you in there and like you had some measure of control over it. And he's like, no, I don't want to control this. I want to get rid of this. And mm-hmm. like, it really struck me. This is actually really good foreshadowing for what the Hulk's overall arc ends up being in the MCU. Like, I, I know that there, there are kind of arguments as far as, like, whether Hulk and Banner are separate characters or not. I think in the comics, they, they more are. But, like, I think in the MCU, it is actually kind of all Banner, and I think that this movie does a good job of communicating that, it, which, again, makes it feel appropriate when, again, Bruce, like, I guess future MCU spoilers when Bruce Banner does end up merging with the Hulk uh, in, in Endgame. I, I think that, that that was a journey that I think was very effectively started uh, within this film. So What I always thought about the Hulk that was interesting was that he is kind of a different side of Banner. And he does begin to develop his own personality, which... You know, comes to an especial head during, you know, not not to spoil this too much, but it especially comes to a head during Infinity War where they literally um, are fighting each other. But then they do also resolve that later. Um, so I do like seeing the beginning of that split, seeing why Bruce felt that way. Um, also, it's, it's, it's a good place to start because since we eventually know that he will come around, that he will... Um, eventually decide it's like okay I do have to accept this part of myself and even at the end of this movie at the end of this movie he starts to get to where we see him again in the Avengers where he is learning to accept actively control when he becomes the Hulk and you know embrace that part of himself so it, it it is good to see that he is you know that he is starting his arc for this movie but yeah, that's yeah, that's just my thought on that particular. I've always thought that it was an interesting storyline, but they covered it in Voyager, I think it was, where they had the two people become one, and then they had to kill the one person to make the two people again. Except for it's the opposite. Is the Hulk a different person than Bruce Banner? So that's that's where it comes from, I, and I think it's a fascinating watch, and I would love to see them go back and catch us up on that. I would love to see him become the smart Hulk. And I'd be down for watching a prequel Hulk just to see what happens. Yeah. It would be fascinating. Now, it's it's not going to be a movie where the monster fighter in me gets all excited. But I would love to see that argued out in a movie. I feel like they started building this up from this point here. From the very beginning, they started building that theoretical uh conversation up and we were cheated out of it with endgame the the difficulty i I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying the difficulty with the with uh marvel making another hulk movie has always been the weird legalese of the fact that marvel owns the rights to the hulk 
and all the characters, but Universal owns the distribution rights to Hulk movies. So, which means they have to come together and make a deal, which they did for this movie, but they have to keep making a deal every time they make a Hulk movie. Which is why Hulk can show up in other people's movies, but they can't just make a Hulk movie without Universal's involvement. Goddamn Planet Hulk. I do want to talk about... Uh, on this the brief subject of MCU connections, let's talk about Tony Stank's cameo. Excuse me, Stark's cameo. <laughs> Tony, Tony Stank. Stank. I just I remember being really excited when I saw this movie for the first time and seeing. Okay, it looks like we really are going all out with this universe and like yeah. the crossovers and like the, this is the second movie in the MCU and a lot of people didn't know what the MCU mm-hmm. was and it, it was really a surprise mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Is like that this is in the same universe as iron man so mm-hmm. the actual scene of him approaching general ross doesn't make as much sense we in hindsight they, they kind of did a, yeah. a humorous uh justification of one of the the, the marvel one shots but it's mm-hmm. it's it's really cool it's it's a really fun exciting cameo when you're watching this movie for the first time i feel yeah i really like the tie-ins i like that we learn like for instance those uh sonic weapons were stark tech um, you can briefly see, um, like they had, like in the beginning of the movie, you briefly see that they had ordered those, and you know, see the Stark logo um, on the order sheets. And I do like that they had mentioned a couple of times, like for instance, when they're tracing the call that lets them find the Hulk, um, that that was because they'd finally reached out to Shield, mm-hmm. and you do see like the Shield logo, um, you know, see that you know they'd use their resources there. Like, it's in a lot of subtle ways, and this is something I think it does really well, is that this is a movie that is not shy about the fact that it is part of the MCU, but if it didn't have those elements either, the movie would still 100% be its own thing. But having them there um, helps build that universe, and... You know, especially learning that the events of this film have helped build and slightly change this universe. Especially if you lived in Harlem. (laughs) I feel like telling a different story in the credits, furthering the story and bringing them all together was fucking genius. It's something that people did in the 80s and 90s and you'd wait all the way through the credits just to get that one little instance. It's like Masters of the Universe. You have to watch all the way through. And then you find out Skeletor is not dead. Skeletor pops back up and there could be a sequel. God damn it, I was cheated out of that sequel. No, wait, there might be something coming. There's something in the works. Seriously, it pushes fans. And for me, it's like watching another movie. It's like getting two movies in one. Oh my, it's extra. (laughs) Like me, extra. (laughs) I think that it's You are certainly extra. (laughs) I I like I like this storytelling. It's not new, but yes, they did perfect the shit. And I was sad that Endgame did not have the little cutscene at the end. But I do love that they started with this. I do love that they started with this. And I love that they continued it. It's a it's a nice tradition. It really is a nice tradition. Even if it doesn't completely uh, spoil it, it makes you come home and it makes you Google. And then after you Google, you you look at the comic books and you're like, I want to know more about this. Where's this comic book at? You know, it, I can't get enough. It got me more into the comics than ever before. I had not been a big comic book person. My brother was. My brother knows all comics. But these movies with those fucking cutscenes got me into the comics. 
what's this? And then when I started seeing the cutscenes and I started picking up, I knew the fuckers had gotten me. They had gotten me to buy their comics. <laughs> <laughs> the bastards. <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoyed it. Well, let's go ahead and uh, talk about overall thoughts and give it a score from 1 out of 10. Zach, why don't you start us off? Ultimately, uh, I've, I've mixed thoughts on the movie and some of these one of these days someone's gonna have to slap me for always using the phrase mixed thoughts (laughs) despite my things i actually like uh edward norton's version of bruce banner i love this version of the hulk um love this version of general ross betty ross can be completely cut out of the movie or actually you know what she shouldn't be cut out of the movie because again there are no female characters in this movie Apart from Betty Ross, so she needed like a better role in this movie. Yes. And apart from that, I like the fight scenes. I liked the villains quite a bit. This is actually touches on pretty much everything that a Hulk fan would want. This movie does actually do that. So I'm gonna give it a seven out of ten. I know everybody's expecting me to give it a really low score, but I'm not gonna give it a really low score. There was a lot of work that went into this goddamn movie. It was, and it was well done. They did their best with the CGI. They did the best for the time for the CGI, inventing shit and helping push it along. You know, this movie has its place in cinema history. It really does. There was a lot of work that went into it, and it wasn't lazy writing. They, there was nothing lazy in it. I have a problem with the main actor, but they fixed that. You know, it's hard work putting together a movie, and it's even harder work to make sure that you put together a good movie. And they did their best, you know. I get it a 6 out of 10. And that's because I feel like they really should have given me a good female character. And it doesn't have to be a love story. I know it might be a love story from the comics. But let's call out the sexism in comic books from way back when. You know, there should not be a woman for the arm or a man for the arm of the hero just because they're a fucking hero. That's honestly my biggest complaint about this movie. That's my biggest complaint about most of Marvel Phase 1. Stop giving me these stupid love stories. But they put a lot of work in this into this film. And they paid attention to detail. It's not something that I'll watch over and over like Thor Ragnarok. But it is something that was well done and that helped build this franchise. I gotta say, every time I watch this movie, I'm always like... You know, I really like this movie. I actually, I really, really like this movie a lot, actually. I think that, uh, I, and I hear the points about the, the Betty Ross character. I think the Betty Ross character was not the strongest element of this movie, but I still think that she worked for me overall. Yes, love interests in these movies can often feel obligatory, but I think that there is something about how it can help to a certain degree. What, what, what romance subplots can do for these types of movies is it can help to humanize these characters and to give them an emotional connection beyond just what they're immediately trying to do because if you take away Betty Ross I feel I honestly feel that the 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 character of Bruce Banner in this movie suffers if you take away Betty Ross because like all he's doing is I have to escape the government and get rid of the Hulk I feel like that's all there is to the character if you take away Betty Ross and I I do actually feel that it was important that she be in this movie I think that she could have been expanded a little bit I don't like the fact that they swept actually my my biggest problem with her is the fact that they swept Doc Sanson under the rug that was actually my big problem with it but I actually liked her as a character and I I was actually fine with her romance plotline I honestly really was um, and I think that this is a good Hulk movie I think this is a good early phase MCU film 
I like the action. I actually do like the effects. I think that it, it looks good for the time. And even, honestly, to, to, to me personally, still holds up pretty decently. And I think Edward Norton was actually a very good Bruce Banner. I think he was a very good Bruce Banner. So I'm going to give it a... I'll give it an 8 out of 10. It's a very solid 8 for me. Nice. All right. Well, that'll do it for The Incredible Hulk. Zach, where can the folks find you? They can find me on Facebook at Zachariah Schneider. They can find me on Twitter's. Also under Zachariah Schneider, at uh, Zachariah Schnett 4, Zachariah S-C-H-N-E-4. You can find me at Troy Hensley on Facebook and Instagram. You can go over and watch some of my videos. I've been adding more to YouTube under Troy Hensley. Or if you want to watch some of my more professional work, go to Metal Wolf Films. I just released a uh, teaser for the movie that I've been directing and editing and putting together a feature length called Demon Chalice Horror Anthology, but you get the feel of the whole movie whenever you actually watch my Saw parody that I just put up, so go check it out. Miller Better Than Piss. <laughs> my name is Sam Wilson. You can find me on Instagram at Wilson underscore actor. That's S-C for cat, W-I-L-S-O-N underscore A-C-T-O-R. That is on Instagram, and you can, pretty much everything I'm working on, uh, you can find on there. Like, I, I, I'm in a play called The Two Gentlemen of Verona, which, uh, as by the time we release this, you'll have a couple more chances to watch it. So for those who are Atlanta locals, uh, find my post that, uh, that I've uh, posted about on social media. And uh, yeah, tickets are still on sale, so please come see us if you live in Atlanta. Follow my band Running Riot at Running Riot Band on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, and just follow Nerd Shit at the Nerd Shit Podcast on Facebook and Instagram or at the Nerd Shit on Twitter. We release episodes weekly. Uh, we also have game shit, which we have one episode out. Like, if you follow us uh, on on socials, like we're we're gonna post, we post all the episodes on there. And subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Just search for Nerd Shit with an exclamation point. You see a poop emoji with nerd glasses. That's us. All of our shows, including Game Shit, are going to be on those channels, so make sure you subscribe to us so you never miss an episode. Next week, we are doing Solo, a Star Wars story, returning to a galaxy far, far away. We should probably have a guest for that episode. I do have somebody lined up. And, yeah, I think they'll... Uh, and, and if for those of you who are tuning in because you, you want to hear our MCU thoughts, we are going to, again, cycle through these franchises we've been doing, but we are going to go through the rest of the MCU. So for every single MCU movie, we are going to do a podcast on. So make sure you keep, a, keep an eye out for that. Uh, for Troy Hensley and Zach Schneider, I'm Sam Wilson. Thank you for joining us for Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Shit, 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 shit. Nerd Shit. Stay shitty, nerds. Nerd shit, nerd shit, so strap on it, girls are talking about